You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. In the words of some smart person way back in history, greetings and salutations. My name is Mike Ufferman. I'm one of the instructors, the Bible teachers here at Zion's Hope. And today we're going to approach a topic that honestly, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else speak on. And I'm not saying I'm special or anything like that. But uh, I'm going to talk today about the Lord's fire and blood. Now, you'll see why I'm getting into that here in just a minute. But I want to kind of keep it in the reference or the time frame of the difference between the pre-trib rapture position versus the pre-wrath rapture position and show how the issue of the Lord's fire and blood really does make a big difference in what we're studying. So today, let's go ahead and start with a passage of scripture that clearly identifies the timing of God's terrible day or the terrible day of the Lord, as we'll see here in this passage of scripture that I'm referring to. In Joel chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 30, and we'll read through verse 32, then we'll kind of come back and revisit it a little bit. We're going to see that it says in verse 30, And I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire. That's where I get the title from, God's blood and fire, and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So we're going to use that as a starting verse. Let's go briefly into prayer, and then we'll come back and we'll get a a better understanding of this passage. And again, Lord, we just ask for you to be with us as we study this passage. Lord, I pray that you'd give us insight, use your spirit in us, and have our spirit understand your spirit so that we can have a good understanding of what this passage of Scripture means and we can see the truth in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, as we look at that passage, we're seeing that it says in Joel 2, starting in verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. So certainly, whenever God's day of the Lord, whenever God's wrath is going to occur, we should see wonders in the heavens and in the earth. And then it says blood and fire and pillars of smoke, but we're really going to just touch upon the blood and the fire part of it, more so the fire, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. But then it says the sun shall be turned into darkness, so that would certainly be a wonder in heaven, and the moon into blood, and while we are using the same word blood here as we were earlier, It's not necessarily referring to the same moment. In other words, uh, we were talking about wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire, and this reference to blood here, I don't think is quite the same as the reference that we're seeing in the prior verse. But anyhow, the sun's going to be turned into darkness. That's going to be one of those wonders in heaven, and the moon into blood, which would also be a wonder in heaven, and those happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So if we're expecting those events to come before God's wrath, then if we're a pre-tribulational rapturist, we should see these events occurring before the tribulational rapture. Okay, in other words, the pre-tribulational rapture. And again, that whole word of the tribulation is a misnomer. Nowhere in scripture does it call that seven-year period of time the tribulation. 
But anyhow, we press on. So we should see the sign in the sun and the moon, uh, the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Let's remember that as we read forward, but also in context then in that same passage, and it says that it shall be shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. So when we've got those events occurring, the sign in the sun and the moon, we've got the blood, we've got the fire, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. In other words, saved for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So now keep that verse, that passage in mind, but I want to take a look at some samples of what the day of the Lord will be like. God's wrath, what it will be like for those who are left on the earth if they're going to suffer God's wrath. An example would be in Psalm 21, verse 9. It says, Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Here we see a passage that is referring to the end times, and it's talking about the people being a fiery oven. Uh, fiery oven. It's talking about during his wrath, they're going to be swallowed up and the fire shall devour them. So certainly just as we read in Joel 2, 30 to 32, and it talked about fire and blood, we should see, as we see here in this Psalm 21 passage in verse 9, that there is going to be fire in that end time scenario. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9, verse 19, it says, Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. And we saw that the sun will not give its light anymore. And the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. And so it's referring again to the wrath of God. And it says, no man shall spare his brother. So just some of the events that are going on at that point in time. Again, the wrath of the Lord of hosts, that land being darkened, and people shall be as the fuel of fire. We can expect fire in that end time scenario. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 21 and verse 31, and it says here, I will pour out mine indignation, talking about God's indignation upon thee, upon the people, and I will blow against thee in the fire of my wrath. Again, a reference to fire being delivered at that end time scenario. And deliver thee into the hand of brutish men and skillful to destroy. And there's a whole nother study that could be done on that one little uh, set of words right there. But again, the main point being that there's going to be the fire of God's wrath at that point in time. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 now, we look in verse 21, and it says, Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath. Again, another reference to fire, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof. So certainly melted and fire go hand in hand. I mean, think about what a fire does to a candle. And so God's fire of wrath will be so great that people will just just perish and it'll be immediate and they will melt in the midst of the fire of his wrath. Verse 31, it says, Also, therefore, I have poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Another reference to fire in that end time scenario. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So people can choose whether they want to perish by the fire of God's wrath, or as we read earlier, that those that call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. So these people do have a choice, either God's fiery wrath, or they can be delivered. So in Ezekiel as well, in chapter 38 and verse 19, it says, For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. And so the Lord speaks fire upon those who reject him, 
And it's because of his jealousy, because they've turned to false gods, they've turned away from him, they've rejected him. And so he brings the fire of his wrath upon them simply by his words. And surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So we've got multiple passages all referring to this fire that God is going to bring as part of his indignation, as part of his judgment, as part of his jealousy against those who will not worship him. In the book of Zephaniah, in chapter 1, and verse 18, it says, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. For that rich person, that billionaire, maybe you're sitting out there now, you know, listening to this, watching this. Um, for those of us that uh, see the video, um, well, in that day, you may have a billion dollars, but guess what? Your money, your silver, your gold will not be able to deliver you in that day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured, how? By the fire of his jealousy. For she, he shall make them even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Again, fire and fire and fire. And so certainly we should see fire as part of God's wrath. And so for those people who think that that full seven years that some people call the tribulation, again, I had mentioned that it's a misnomer, it's not called that anywhere in Scripture, but in that full seven-year period of time, for those people that think that the, the seven years is the wrath of God, well, let's take a look and let's see how soon we see that fire come down from God, how soon we see the Lord's wrath. And of course, the best place to look at that is going to be in the book of Revelation. So when do we first see God's wrath in the form of fire, which is the verses that I've highlighted all, you know, leaning on this concept of fire. Or the other part of that question, since we did read in that first passage where it talked about blood and fire, when do we see God's wrath in the form of blood, which as I mentioned, we read earlier. So let's take a look at the book of Revelation and we'll just kind of do a a cursory scan as we look in the scriptures, if you want to get out your Bible and take a look with me. And we'll just start Revelation chapter 1, and we see that we've got a prologue there clearly identifying that it's Jesus who's speaking, and uh, he gives some background, and we learn about John and who he's writing to, and we know that he's written to seven different churches, the church of Ephesus and Smyrna, we've got the church of Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis. Uh, we also have then the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Laodicea. And those are the first three chapters of the Bible. The only place that we see any kind of a reference that I can remember uh, regarding fire in those first three chapters is when it comes to the description of Jesus and uh, his appearance. And so we don't see any kind of a reference there at all uh, regarding those seven churches. And just as a side note, uh, two good churches in those references that we see there. Uh, the one good church that we all recognize, the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love, you might say. But then the other one is the Church of Smyrna. And uh, I believe that the Church of Philadelphia is the church today that would be the biblical God-fearing church that we would see today. There's nothing bad that's said about them by the Lord in those passages. But then I think that the Church of Smyrna is actually the church that comes into existence after the rapture of the church, after the resurrection of the saints. 
And so when you look at that passage, go back and read it in that context that the rapture's already occurred, and these are the people that have been left behind. And as they've been left behind, now they're having to make a choice. Will they accept Christ as their Savior or not? And so I think that's the Church of Smyrna. But as we continue to read, then we've already gone through the first three chapters, one, two, and three. That's all the references to all the different churches. And then we pick up on chapter four. And chapter 4 is this scene in heaven. It also runs into chapter 5. We're looking at the throne of God up there. We see that there's angelic worship. Uh, We also see a very interesting scene where there's a book or a scroll that has seven seals on it, and there's only one person out of all of history, out of all of humanity, that's qualified to go ahead and take that scroll out of the hand of God. And the only one who could take that scroll out of the hand of God is the one that looks like a lamb. Okay, and we, need, we know in that passage that the lamb there is exalted. Now when we move over into chapter 6, again, haven't seen anything related to fire yet. Okay, so we now move over into chapter 6. And chapter 6 then begins our seven seals. Some people call them the seal judgments. Uh, I don't see any judgment per se. Uh, by God, in other words, affecting anything on purpose. I see that he does allow certain things to happen. And so we have seals one through four. That's the beginning of the confirming of a seven-year covenant between um, the Antichrist, as we would understand him. And again, we're taking the book of Daniel, and we're kind of combining it here as well. But Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. So there's a seven-year covenant uh, that's agreed upon. Uh, some people say it's a peace treaty. Uh, a very interesting suggestion would be that this Antichrist is agreeing with Israel that they can abide by their covenant of law and that they'd be able to begin the sacrificial worship service again that they would have had in the Old Testament times that ceased to exist way back when, certainly when the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. They've not had a temple on the Temple Mount to be able to, to render sacrifices anymore. And so we know that there's this seven-year covenant, and then we also see then that we've got this rider on the uh, white horse, um, and we see the false Christs come in. I would suggest one of those is the Antichrist, and then his minions with him. And then the next horse and rider that we see is going to be the red horse and rider. And as a result of that, and the Antichrist now being there, taking power Uh, beginning to build his base. We see that there are wars and rumors of wars uh, amongst the nations where Antichrist is saying, join with me. If you don't, then I will attack you. That's the rumors of wars. And for those that resist the Antichrist and they decide to go to war, well, that would be the wars. The next horse and rider that we see is the one that brings famine in the land. And certainly it makes sense when we've got wars, rumors of wars, now Antichrist also taking control of the food supplies. And we've even seen that kind of in the news lately with many things that are going on, uh, that we end up with famine in the land. And um, we end up with a lot of people now starving. And then that brings in the pale horse and rider, which is death. And certainly from the Antichrist and his minions, from the wars, rumors of wars, and from famine, there's going to be pestilence and there's going to be death. And yet at the same time, as I look at this, I don't see any place here where we have a fulfillment of those passages that I read to begin with regarding fire or regarding blood as part of God's wrath. And so we move now into the fifth seal as we're still in chapter 6. 
And the fifth seal begins the great tribulation at the seven-year midpoint. So we've got that seven-year span of time that began with the confirmation of the covenant. And then that's a seven-year covenant. And then halfway through, and you look in the book of Daniel again, chapter 9, uh, you'll see that, that that covenant is violated. And this is three and a half years into that seven-year period of time. Antichrist violates that covenant. And he begins then to put pressure on Israel, on Jewish people, and then also certainly on Christians in the world. As now he's gained a very solid power base, uh, fewer and farer between are the nations that will resist him. And many people will be turning against the Jews and be turning against the Christians, even armies of the world eventually coming against uh, Jerusalem in particular, Israel also, and um, beginning a very bold attack against the people of Israel. So still no fire, though, and no blood uh, coming from God in any way. So if the fourth chapter, as many people say, where it's referred to uh, that John is told, I looked up and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Many people consider that to be the rapture of the church, but the reality is it's John talking to somebody in heaven and being called up to get the viewpoint from the heavenly realm about what's going to be happening up there, which we see in all of chapter 4, all of chapter 5, and all of chapter 6. And the, uh, the references to earth are from up there looking down. So if the if the wrath of God were starting when the rapture of the pre-tribulational church was raptured, which would be there at chapter 4, then we should have seen a sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars, because we know there's that sign that occurs before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So we don't see that anywhere. We don't see fire and blood anywhere. And so chapter 4 cannot be the beginning of the tribulation, as it's called. Okay, so I need evidence to show me that you can call that full seven years the tribulation, and it's not in Scripture. So the best that we have is the thing called the Great Tribulation. You see that over in the book of Matthew. And uh, it talks about a time of great tribulation, a time of great persecution, which then begins at the midpoint of that 70th week that Daniel talks about in, in uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And so here at the midpoint, as I mentioned, we've got, gotten halfway in, and this is where the great tribulation begins. And then after that, at some point in time, God says, okay, everybody out of the pool. That's my simple way of saying it, and yet it, it requires great power uh, by God to affect what he's getting ready to do. And that's where then we see this cosmic disturbance. We see this sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars that the book of Joel spoke about. And that's to happen before the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord. And in that context, people that call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved. And so a terrible thing is about to happen. And we read that it revol revolves around this issue of, of blood, of fire, of earthquakes, of, I mean, just tremendous things happening on earth. And so we've got these cosmic disturbances here ending up in chapter 6. And then you would expect the next thing, because that's, that's, that's the cosmic disturbance of the sixth seal. You would expect then chapter 7 to go into the seventh seal, and yet it doesn't. 
Okay, the next thing that you see in chapter 7 is kind of a parenthetical insert as seen by John from heaven. And there's the marking of 144,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel. There's the resurrection of the dead saints, those in history past that have been in the grave but have been people of faith. Now they will be resurrected out of their graves. And then the rapture of the living saints, those people, just a, a few number at that point in history, a very special moment in history when those who are alive will be caught up together with the dead saints to meet the Lord in the air. And so there we have chapter 7. But we don't have blood and we don't have fire. Well, now, from the point of view of a pre-wrath rapturist, since we've seen this sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars, as spoken by Joel in chapter 2, verses 30. 31, 32, now is the point in time where we would expect the dreadful day of the Lord, which is what Joel said. And so then we should certainly expect there to be fire and blood, or blood and fire, as the next thing that we see. And so let's go ahead and take a look. We move over into chapter 8. And in chapter 8, we know that this is where the seventh seal is opened up to release the trumpet judgments. And these are where I would say the judgments really begin. All the stuff that happened before, basically, in, in, well, in um, seals number one, two, three, and four, those were all Satan's doing. Uh, seal number five, that's also Satan's doing, because that's this great tribulation against humanity, believing humanity, Jewish humanity. And then we have then God reacting well, God doesn't react, he proacts. In other words, he's doing this on behalf of his, his elect. Scripture says it, that these days are shortened on behalf of the elect. So God acts on behalf of the elect, and we have then this resurrection and rapture that occurs. So for us then, the very next thing, since we've seen that sign in the, sign in the sun, moon, and the stars, we should see God removing or protecting his people. And the removal is the resurrection and the rapture. The protection is 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel that seals are placed on them so that they will not be hurt during what remains as they remain on the earth. So here we are now and we're in chapter 8 and we have the opening of of seal number 7 which is going to release the trumpets. Trumpet number 1, guess what? Hail, fire, and blood. Coming down from heaven issued by God's command to an angel coming down on, on, on earth, just as we would expect it in the pre-wrath position. The timing is perfect, just as we would expect it in the pre-wrath position. So we've got hail, hail, fire, and blood that comes down and it affects the land. And then the next thing we see in the second trumpet is like a burning mountain, and that brings blood in the sea. So burning, that's on fire, blood in the sea. So we both in those two trumpets, we have fire, we have blood. When we look at trumpet number three, there's a burning star that is going to affect the fresh water, make that fresh water um, bitter. Again, burning. And then we also see in trumpet four that the sun, the moon, and the stars are severely affected. And then there are the three woes that are going to be coming next. Trumpet number five is the first woe and the scorpion-like beasts that are going to come out of the earth. Sixth uh, trumpet is going to be that second woe. Uh, There's four angels that have been uh, bound earlier are now released, and they kill a third of humanity. And um, 
Anyway, I think that you see that for the pre-wrath position, and we could keep on going beyond this, but for the pre-wrath position, the fire and the blood, as spoken of earlier, happen exactly when we would expect it. We don't see it at the beginning of that seven-year period of time. We don't see it in, in um, Revelation chapter 4. We don't see a sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars in Revelation chapter 4. We don't see it at the midpoint, which if you're a mid-tribulation rapturist, you would expect it there, but you don't see it there. You don't see it until like, don't quote me now, but until like four or five years into that seven-year period of time, which is when the pre-wrath rapturist would expect to see it. And it's going to be a major event that God is going to bring his wrath, and it happens just after he removes his saints or he protects the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. So there is no such thing as the tribulation. There are difficult times, certainly. The tribulation, if you wanted to call it that, is all caused by Antichrist and Satan. So, you, But it's not called that anywhere in Scripture. Uh, we have the Great Tribulation, which is at that midpoint um, but it's not the dealing of God with humanity. It's Satan, Antichrist, bringing their wrath upon humanity. And it's not until what we would expect, that sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars, that we then would see God's wrath, and that wrath comes in the form of the trumpet judgments. And the first, second, third, we see fire and blood raining down out of heaven, and so much more after that. So, just think about that. If you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, even post-tribulation rapturist, um, this pre-wrath position stands the test of Scripture. And so I would invite you to consider those thoughts. My name is Mike Ufferman, again, one of the Bible teachers at uh, Zion's Hope. We'd invite you certainly to look up our YouTube channel on uh, the Zion's Hope YouTube channel. And uh, we have lots of Excellent, excellent Bible teaching there that we would invite you to, um, to partake in, to enjoy. And then also, please keep tuning in to these um, Bible Prophecy Daily sessions. I think we've got some good teachers here, and we're putting our hearts into this for you. And may the Lord bless your listening. May the Lord bless your spirit, as hopefully His Spirit uses us to speak with you. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 